What's going on, folks? Thanks for joining us for another podcast tonight. Got Elliot with me, and we're ready to kick it off. We just got off the line with Bill from from Tetra. So, um, guys, definitely, definitely stick around. It's going to be an awesome podcast. Super, super interesting. Elliot, what do you got to add to that? Yeah, you know, we haven't had a guest on for a while, uh, but over our 100, I don't know how many, we're pushing 200 episodes at this point. We've got to be close in that ballpark. But one of uh, my favorite interviews we've ever done, um, just really, really fascinating about Tetra and hearing around hunting. And and um, I, I got to say, I am a little bit freaked out about my own <laughs> health and future after talking to him. But man, what a fascinating interview that was. I yeah. can't wait for you guys to hear this. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely, definitely super cool. So I honestly I was left speechless a couple of times. Just there's a lot of, he brings a lot of information in there and it's just, it's going to be a good one. So, so yeah, yeah. Just stick around, stick around. Trust me on this one. Um, but yeah, Elliot, what, what you been up to, man? You got a, you got any, uh, hunts you've been doing or. Well, we did not have, we had a terrible hunt last weekend in the rain, Danny and corn and I, um, but we did one thing I haven't done for a long time and I wish I'd got it on video as we jumped a pond. <laughs> We were sitting at Corn's Pond, and, and we kept seeing birds go go down on the same property on a smaller pond. And, not, I mean, it's like we just weren't getting any action at all. And, and Corn's like, well, we could walk over and jump that. And, like, you know what? I have not pond jumped <clears throat> for years. And so we got we actually got in my truck, went clear around to the other side of the property, walked about a couple hundred yards, crawled under a fence, and we did. We had no idea how many birds were on this whole pond, and so um, and Georgie did just awesome. Because have you ever have you ever jumped a pond before? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Have you done it with Chief? Yeah. Because that's the thing. It's like, <clears throat> especially dogs that have pond jumped a few times, which Georgie never had, but they understand the game. So as you're creeping up the up the dam before you come over, a dog that's pond jumped a few times, they get really really excited and controlling the dog on that and healing them. And I mean, I, my first dog oh, yeah. was just terrible. She, they just want I mean, to creep forward on you like crazy. They want to go flush the birds before you're there to shoot. is <laughs> what they wanted. And George, Georgie's behavior was just awesome. It was just awesome. Um, so we, we, we peeked up over the dam as we, you know, you kind of look at all three. It's like, now it's, you walk up over there and I saw like three or four of them kind of out in the middle of the pond. And I'm like, ah, man, I don't know. I think that that's about, the right i can kill him at that distance and and what we were walking at this time and then like 15 flushed from right at, at the edge where he couldn't see him and uh, we ended up killing four um honestly honestly i thought when i was pulling the trigger that i shot a triple now there's three other guys shooting so it was probably i probably didn't i probably um you doubled at least one on him but um i thought that i actually did uh, and it, it was just fun. A lot, a lot of people kind of bash on pond jumping, <laughs> uh, but I mean, I, I don't know if I'm not going to make a habit of pond jumping. But if a situation arises like that on a bad day, a pond jump is fun. Oh yeah, yeah. No, yeah. we're out there to hunt. So and, we killed four mallards by that. Yeah, we're out there to hunt and have a good time. And you know, sometimes you got to do a little, a little extra to get the success. And there, and there's nothing wrong with jumping them here or there for sure. So even if that's all you no, do, it's fun. Yeah, yeah. But I wouldn't, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go out just a pond jump. No, no, no. Like, I'm that's just, my duck hunting that I do. But <laughs> I'm just saying is the negative. When you do it, it is fun. Yeah. 
it's fun, and I'm not going to knock people that that want to have enjoyment and waterfowl hunting that way. Again, like you're saying, definitely not my preferred method. I would I'll take the the decoying in all day. Um, but I will, I'll tell you a little bit about um, my hunt over the weekend. So we got tons of snow here. Um, so it's been a lot of fun. I love snow. Actually, snowed again today too. I love snow hunts. Um, but I went out <laughs> and. I tried doing something different on on one of my hunts. I wanted to bring a bunch of decoys, and I was going to paddle in a river upstream. So I took my kayak and tied my canoe to my kayak, and <laughs> and I thought that that was going to be a good way to to get all my gear there. So and I had Chief in the kayak with me. But anyways, it took me like forty five minutes to paddle to my spot. <laughs> Just upstream. Just upstream. It was like a treadmill. I hate paddling upstream. You can't look, stop. You, you can't even take a it, break. It feels like you're not doing anything. Yeah, yeah. It sucks. Yeah. We did that on the on the Kansas River one time. It's not fun. Yeah. So that was that was my uh, my day on on Sunday. Um I did actually I hunted twice. So um I killed some in the morning and still had one left. And I went back in the evening and man, we had some of the most probably some of the best coolest decoying geese just like ever on the river on the tiniest little tiniest little river and man talk about crazy so i'm working on that video now it'll be up by the time this podcast is up so yeah Yeah, well tomorrow aiden and i i'm sorry i thought you're done oh no all i was gonna i'm just saying having some fun on the late season honkers per usual definitely one of my favorite Favorite times of waterfowl season, which doesn't get enough credit from everybody. because, And the reason I say that is because once it gets cold like this, there's no competition. Or there's little. There's not no. There's just compared to like regular waterfowl season. And I think people are crazy because late season honker hunting is amazing. I love it. So, um, mm-hmm. And maybe I shouldn't say that. Just keep being crazy so I can have Gosh. all the spots to myself. <laughs> I normally only go out about one time one time during that late season, which um, Aiden and I are going this weekend with Chad Dawson, which I don't know if you remember, we interviewed Chad Dawson because um, he was part of the group. Well, he's with Delta. He, he were, or he did at least did at that time. I'm not sure if he still works for him or volunteers for him or what, but he put on that goose um, hunting tournament that Ben Page and I went down and covered and did some social media stuff for. And uh, we had him on, but the audio ended up so bad we couldn't even we couldn't even post it. Um, <clears throat> I don't know if you remember that or not, but yeah, dude, it rings a bell. <laughs> uh, so, so great guy. And Aiden and I are going to go to the Delta banquet um, on Saturday night and hunt with Chad for uh, Saturday and Sunday. And and I I believe that Titus from Mid Valley Mercenaries is not hunting anymore. I don't think he has any more hunts left. And on Freelance Hunt Stats leaderboard, he's ahead of me by twenty three points. And a Canada goose is worth five. So if I'm doing my math right, I need five. Mm. I need five geese this weekend to pass Titus. You got a chance, man. To beat him. To beat him. And then I got a snow goose hunt at the end of uh, either at the end of September, February, or at the very beginning of of, um, March. So I really think I can take Titus and I'd put me into the number six slot on the leaderboards. Um, and really, I think that'd be like the number four slot because I think the top two guys post group numbers. So mm-hmm. that would actually put me in number four. So yeah. I put Aiden at number one and Matt at number two from High Price Sportsman. So some guy named Craig at number three, if my, if my, <laughs> if my memory serves. And then I'd be number four and Titus would be number five. 
Yeah, and then me and me and Thomas hanging around like 15, 16 spots. So um, definitely pretty cool, guys. If you haven't checked out the the, the freelance duck hunting um, web application, soon to be phone application, um, you know, definitely definitely check that out. Leaderboards on all that. People keeping track of their their hunting numbers all season long is is really really cool to see. Um, you know, we, we always say not about the numbers, but it's so cool to see the numbers for sure. So, um, but yeah, let's go ahead and get a quick word from our partners and we'll jump right on to today's podcast with Bill from Tetra. So stay tuned for that. Uh, first off, I'd like to give a big thanks out to Onyx. Onyx is changing the game for me, um, in the last couple of years from marking all my pins. You just pull up your phone, mark them down got color coded so I can see and remember everything I have uh, planned out for my hunt locations, whether it's I need to ask for permission. Um, it's somewhere I've asked and they weren't home. It's somewhere they've said no, you know, you get so many pins in your area. It's just a, a perfect way to kind of keep track of all that. And, and that's changing the game for me for sure. Um, and the amount of access I've, I, I can 100%, 100% say that um, my percentage for getting access to private property has gone up, um, not only from just marking it and, and having a good organization system, but also because right there, when you click on a, a, a plot of land, it gives you the tax information for the homeowner. You can find them or the landowner. You can find them. You can find where they live. Ask for that permission, and you know you're, you're going to get your nose. But at least you know whether it's a yes or no, and you don't have to keep thinking about it or waste time scouting that area. Um, tons more stuff I could go in on on X. An awesome product. Check them out, guys. Onyx on your phone, smartphone, Android, on the web, wherever. It's going to help you um, in all of your hunting endeavors. As if you uh, have not checked out Motion Duck's decoy spreader, you need to do it right now. Off-season started, and this is – there's a couple things, in my opinion, that you can do to become more successful. And this would probably be number one on the list because on days where there is no wind, you shoot – a lot less ducks. You just do. I can look at those numbers off freelance hunt stats um, for over 8,000 hunts that have been logged over there. And I'm telling you the number one, the number one worst hunting day is no wind. And with the motion ducks decoy spreader, it's a, it's a game changer. I have improved my no wind hunts dramatically. We go small spread. We go about six to 12. um, Well, actually I'd say I'd go about from 10 to 15 um, decoys. And with the motion duck decoy spreader, you can do, you can just combine them together. So you can do four, you can do seven, you can, it's, it's amazing. Go check it out. Um, product code is duck gun 2020, no space. You can get 10% off and free shipping and a free anchor bag. You've got to add that to your gear um, list for the off season. If you don't have it yet. Awesome. Also like to give a big thanks out to finisher. Uh, dispatching your birds has never been easier. Um, guys, I keep my finisher right on my lanyard. It's right there. Anytime I need it. Actually, um, I had a story, uh, where I was doing a hunt on the river in my kayak and I didn't have my lanyard on yet. And let me tell you, when I picked up that goose from chief that I just shot and it was still flapping around and I had to wring its neck in the kayak in a moving in, in the moving water and, and all this kind of other stuff that's going on, it was no easy task. And I really wish that I had my finisher on my lanyard 
that I was wearing already, but it was tucked in my blind bag, and I had to do it the old-fashioned way. And, and let me tell you, on these big Canada geese, big Canada geese having the finisher and finishing off your bird, it's just a way easier solution. Not only that, but just across the board on on all on all waterfowl. Um, but it is our responsibility, you know, as hunters to um, take pride in in and respect for the animals that we harvest and doing it with the finisher is just a quick and humane way. Um, check them out guys. They got all different types, different sizes, different colors. Um, and they look great on your lander as well. So, um, the website is adrenal-line.com and the promo code to get you guys 15% off over there is duck gun 15. All right, guys, I want you, um, when you get a moment, Search Banded and Aspire Waders. Banded has this new line called Aspire, and it's all in these kind of cool traditional brown colors. And I definitely want some of this Aspire gear before next year. Go check it out. It is really, really cool-looking vintage kind of stuff. So Banded, Avery, and GHG, anything you're needing for next year before before you go and run off and buy it, check out Banded.com. See what they've got there. Because I know Jordan, I can speak for Jordan too. We are hooked on the Banded, Navery, and GHG um, brands. So go check them out for your next season waterfowl needs. Awesome. And before we get the guests in, guys, I just want to say a big thanks to every one of you guys, the listeners, the followers of the podcast. Um, just a huge thanks to you guys sticking through. Uh, you know, another waterfowl season with us. We've been doing this for three years now and never could imagine kind of the community we'd grow and all the awesome people we'd meet and all the awesome people that we'd get to talk to. Um, you know, feel free to, to message us on social media anytime, any question you got. Um, we do get a lot of messages and we'll do our best to, you know, answer all those. Um, but just want to give a big thanks out to you guys. Um, just means the world to have you guys supporting us and supporting what we do here at um, the duck gun podcast. And, you know, if there's, if there's anything else you guys can do to support us is to go check out, um, our YouTube channels, duck Gun chronicles and freelance duck hunting. We make tons of content over there, video form too. So if you're enjoying what we do on the podcast and the audio form, there's really a, a great chance you're going to enjoy all the videos we put out, you know, here's the end of the season. So you could have a, you could have a lot of content to catch up on, um, from all the waterfowl season. So, Without further ado, let's go ahead and we're going to um, get Bill on with us and stay tuned, guys. It's, it's an awesome one. Hey, guys, I'm Jordan Fromer. I believe in hunting hard, hunting smart, and having a fun time while doing it. And shooting limits? Well, that's just the icing on the cake. I revel in the journey just as much as the successes it brings. From ducks to dogs to decoys and guns, we'll be talking tactics, strategies, and what it takes to get the job done. Load up and take aim. This is the Duck Gun Podcast. What's going on, folks? Thanks for joining me on another episode of the Duck Gun Podcast. I'm Jordan from Duck Gun Chronicles, and I got my co-host, per usual, alongside me tonight, Elliot, the duck tater, and our guest for tonight is Bill, the co-founder or founder of Tetra. How you doing tonight, Bill? Hey guys, uh, it's it's going great. I think we're all trying to survive this. What is it, day sixty four here? We got four days without duck season. So, um, <laughs> we're uh, we're doing as best we can for the end of duck season, right? 
Yep, yep. I will say that uh, me and Elliot can't quite feel your pain yet. Um, having late goose season holds off the depression just for a little while. I mean, I, I'm a big duck hunter as well, so <laughs> I definitely prefer the mallards. But, you know, getting on some late geese definitely helps with it. Um, but you're you're telling me uh, kind of before we went on air, and I had to stop you because I wanted to have it recorded. Um, but you had a, a pretty cool ending to your waterfowl season. You want to you know, you want to jump into that? Yeah, it was um, it was a, a, a super kind of a, a last minute surprise, and there was a there was a cool hunt that was put together out on the, the eastern shore of Maryland. And um, out just just the other side of Cambridge, for for anyone who knows that part of the world, um, first time out, you know, it's one of those things like you get to go to, you get to meet and hunt with a bunch of new people, and and get to hunt in a whole new area, um, some some new approach to like the same old birds. Of course, we get over there, and you know what happened on the East Coast a couple of days ago with with the big snow, and we were right before that, and. Um, about four or five days up to the hunt, you know, they're showing, I think there's about a 450 acre flooded cornfield in the, and it just, it looked like a freaking refuge. <laughs> and, uh, we, we get out to hunt that on Friday morning and, and after it was 26, 25 degrees, um, you know what we were doing, breaking ice and, and, you know, trying to pretend like, like it wasn't just frozen for the last 15 hours and uh and all those all those big birds just kind of moved out of the area we we had a lot of had a lot of fun i um i i was able to sneak home on my carry-on bag a a frozen big beautiful black duck that uh that, that will be on my wall and I've been waiting for that one for a long time. I finally got an absolute beauty. So Southwest Airline brought home (laughs) a black duck, unbeknownst to them, probably. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah, that's that's definitely a lot of fun out there. Like you said, black duck, a lot of black ducks out there. And, you know, um, kudos to you getting one on the wall. I actually tried to get one on the wall, but I I mangled it up a little bit this year's, you know, first black duck I've ever shot as well. So. Uh, I'll, st- yeah. I'll still be on the search for that one. Then we 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 switched over and um, and and went after some uh, you know the big big Canada geese on Saturday morning. Um, and it was one of those. I mean, you talk about like a once and done. We had, we had super cool pit on the edge of a pond. So we had you know dry land behind us and you know Bigfoot full bodies around there and. Couple dozen floaters in front and silhouettes all over, and um, and we waited and waited. And the, the whole idea is like you know they've been flying like right after right after first light, the entire season, and we sat for about two hours and watched a beautiful sunrise come up and didn't see a single goose, and then all of a sudden it, it just the sky was literally like like God flipped the light switch and the sky was full of them. And we had about ten birds come in and and work. There were seven of us, and I, I still can't believe it to this day. But um, the the limit right now out there is is one bird, one bird per license. And uh, uh. ten came in. We let we let two sit sit down behind us, um, 
and we let one fly away. And so everyone <laughs> got to shoot their one goose, and uh, we went and picked up and got some great pictures and went and cooked some eggs after that. So, awesome. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> that's it, it was great. pretty cool. I've never, what, I've never what, had what a with... on on one volley, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and what state were you hunting in on this trip? This was Maryland. Maryland, okay. And I don't know if their whole season, you know, they're it's they're keeping careful counts on you know what they're what they're looking at um, for the migratory geese. It, you know, it's it's every, it's like everywhere else. The, all the residents live in people's yards and in their back ponds and on the golf courses and mm-hmm. city parks. But um, but they're you know they're looking. Looking at the migratory birds that are coming through there and, and counting nests and nesting pairs, and they dropped the limit down to one this year. Wow! And I guess you could. Look I didn't at realize it, they, anywhere was that low. Yeah, you could say, well, at least we get to shoot one. But uh, that's got to be hard. I mean, it's hard on everyone. It's it's got to be super, super hard on the. I think about how it has to impact, especially in a bad year with with COVID and everything we've been through. It's got to impact those those outfitters and the guides out there, right? Because oh, yeah. um, big waterfall state, and uh, now all of a sudden you can only shoot one goose. That that's got to change change how busy their schedule is. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, definitely. Like I said, it's a historic location, and definitely need to get out there. And it is, it is crazy to see kind of those waterfowl numbers drop, having the the two mallards and the the one goose, and so hopefully, you know, through conservation, they can they can bring that back up. But who knows, you know, just with population over there of people and everything, and and um, kind of habitat going away. Uh, it, it, I mean, as far as I know, that's kind of the main the main reasons to it. So um, there's not a lot, you know, with with a lot of people, there's not a lot you can do to kind of kind of fix that. So, um, but hopefully, hopefully, they come up with some type of solution. So I, I realize it's, it's Duck Gun podcast, but um, if I can slide, it was absolutely one of the highlights. I'm 52. I don't remember a day in my life not hunting, um, but man, this is an absolute, if there's career highlights, it was. So out on the eastern shore, um, they, they also have a, a really unbelievable population of Sika deer. Um, and they're really, really prevalent in about three counties along the shore there. And what, what kind of deer did you say? Sika, S-I-K-A. Mm. Um, and um, little itty-bitty Japanese deer, and I, I think it was back in the in the 20s or maybe 1917 or something, there was a, a Japanese emperor that was sending over a gift of 10 deer, and the ship crashed on... I hope they do the story justice, but the, the ship crashed on one of the kind of barrier islands off the coast. The deer got off, and they inhabited, I think it was called St. John's Island. And they kind of have, for several decades, they would have, was, you know, the deer, the herd would grow and grow and grow and grow. And and then they would overpopulate, and they'd get diseased, and they'd have a big die-off, and there'd be enough mating pairs and it, and it grew back, grew back, grew back. And I think it kind of went through this, you know, up and down for, you know, 20s, 30s, 40s. But sometime right after World War II, the um, DNR decided to go in and, and they had a big, they were going to try to pen them up 
and net them, and they were going to transfer them uh, more inland. Well, the dang deer are so smart, they evaded all of the pens and the traps and the nets, and they, they freaking jumped in the, in, the, in the ocean, and they swam across to the mainland, and they have absolutely, since that day, just absolutely thrived. And uh, so they're, they're considered a little, it's just a little deer. Um, you know, a stag's about a, 100 pounds, and a, and a hind is, you know, 65 to 75 pounds. And um, they look kind of like miniature elk, like <laughs> almost like a like a like a baby like a baby elk. So they're like the size of like a lab. That's kind of funny. <laughs> Dude, I can't believe you said that. So so, uh, and the idea is that we're you know they're like hey if you want to if you want to try to try to get one we'll we'll hunt those in the evening and hunt ducks and geese in the morning. So I threw my bow in, and um, and man I was lucky enough to to take a take a real nice stag. And, uh, and, you know, it, it was funny. We take it back to the cleaning house and they hang it up before we, before we even dressed it out. And they're like, oh yeah, that's a good one. That's 105 pounds. <laughs> and I said, I said that exact thing. I said, my daughter's yellow lab is five pounds heavier than that. <laughs> that's pretty funny. Definitely, but it was I'm gonna super have to... cool. Um, it's it's a neat little animal. They are they're called the swamp ghost, and they just appear and they literally just disappear. Like it, it's on un, it's unreal. They're just they're super super paranoid animals. Mm-hmm. They're really skittish and um, one of the actually one of the coolest things that I'll, I'll shut up. We can talk about duck hunting, but um, like they have a they have a really unique fat, and and I guess that fat just if you blow through them, like they're like, you cannot shoot them. You cannot get a broadside double lung shot with an arrow because they'll, they'll run about 30 yards and they'll plug up. Like their, their fat just plugs up. If you blow through, um, you will never recover the animal. They'll get in this tog called Phragmites, which is what the marsh is. It's about a 10 foot tall grass. They're like, it'll get in the frag and, and we'll never find it if, mm. if it if it plugs up and doesn't bleed. And so what they're looking for is a, a really strong quartering away shot and, and very low. And um, you kind of shoot it low and, and try to drive it, drive the arrow out the opposite armpit. And man, I got, I somehow pulled it off and, uh, and it all worked and, I, uh, I let one sail, and, and literally it, it piled up about 40 yards down, big splash of water, because this is all you're hunting all in the marsh. It was a super cool experience, which is mm. the only no, reason. I'm I don't get to, to do look that, that kind up. of stuff all the time. That's why I'm sharing it, because <laughs> I've never talked to anyone who's done it, and it was it was, it was was fantastic. I, I feel like I, I knew about all the big game hunting in North America, but this is I, this is the first I'm hearing of this, so I guess that shows that I, I, I didn't know it know all of the the big game you can hunt and so um i'm I'm gonna do a deep a deep dive later on figure out figure out about this and um do they bugle like an elk you said they kind of look like an elk so so okay this kind of leads us into probably more of the stuff that you really did want to talk about with <laughs> uh you know with tetra and, and we can get to it but the answer to that jordan is yes they got this really cool it's it's not nearly as big and and, and majestic as is, is a is a full a big elk, 
it's kind of got this this three almost like three different components it's like it's like almost a really loud whine um and they they kind of go nuts uh during their rut is you know october ish um and i guess they're just crazy they are they're very vocal um when i had when i was up in stan they um I had two different stags. I had one stag come through, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, another stag came through, and, and he came in, and he puffed all up, almost like a almost like a big gobbler strutting, and he puffed his chest all up, and they've got kind of a furry, like a little scrawny mane almost, hmm. and all of a sudden, he, he became like a big, like, furry, like, you know how you see all these, like, cockapoo mixed dogs and just like little teddy bears, right? Yep. It's like, it's like it came and he let out just this big guttural roar or, or, or it almost sounded like a, just a big belch. <laughs> and, uh, it was cool. Like, so, so yeah, do your deep dive and look into it. But for a, for an ear geek and a hearing geek, um, these were the most vocal animals that I've ever, that I've ever seen. And I only got to chase them for a couple of days. So awesome. All right. Well, normally with the lightning round, we kind of wait till a little later, but I want to try something with this podcast. We're going to jump into it near the beginning of the podcast. Um, and for those of you kind of new to the to the lightning round, it's quick questions with quick answers and helps us get to know a little bit more about you as a duck hunter. So let's go ahead and jump right into it. So first off, uh, what gun do you shoot? <laughs> Uh, Benelli SB3. And uh, what is your preferred shot size for ducks? Uh, my preferred is uh, three inch number threes. And for geese? Uh, three and a half BB. And do you got a preference, ducks or geese? Um, if, if I, I, I would, that would, it's supposed to be a lightning round ducks. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, do you got a favorite, um, type of area to hunt them as far as like, you know, flooded timber, flooded corn, uh, marsh? Uh, hands down since moving to Tennessee, grew up in Michigan, hunting cattail swamps, um, and a lot of frozen cornfields, which is why I chose ducks over geese because I <laughs> laid in those January cornfields too long. Uh, the flooded, a, a, a true green timber duck hunt is, I, I, I can't have a better day than that right there. So nice. green timber. Nice. Well, I will, I will mention that I hunt Michigan quite a bit, so we might have to talk a little bit off air <laughs> about some of the places yeah, okay. we, that, that we hunt. So, um, Michigan is, is one of my, my new favorite in the last few years, places to hunt. So, um, yeah, I, miss, I miss everything about it dearly. <laughs> so well, let's change that. And, uh, I'm no wonder you're into the geese hard still right now. <laughs> if you're up in that part. Oh yeah. Um, Ellie, you said, you said you had one to add to this from earlier. Yeah, so you do a lot of uh, hunting in Tennessee, correct? Uh, a little bit more. Of my more of my waterfall hunting is is across the river um, in Arkansas and Missouri. Okay. Um, and West Tennessee, but yeah. Okay, so it seems like that uh, every different hunter from the South has an idea about 
the migration and what's happened to it and why the ducks aren't making it as far south in the last 10 years or so. So what is your take on why aren't the ducks making it as far south as they used to? I'm a, I guess I'm a big, you know, uh, behavior modification hunter. I mean, I think that, that for various reasons and you can go across the board, it's not as cold. Things aren't freezing up. Farming strategies are different. Like all the stuff that we know about for years, but at the end of the day, I just think that these animals, their behaviors changed and, and, it, and, it, and they don't have to go, you know, for, for, for those of us that walk around on two legs, it takes a long time for, for, for generational change. And man, that's, that's a blink of an eye for an animal like a duck, right? It has a relatively short life. Um, even if it's a, even if it's one that dies of old age, um, and so I think this idea, you know, that when the snow starts flying and it gets a little bit cold that we got to point it south and get out of town. I just, I think that's, that's been, that training has been lost. And so it's kind of, it's not just part of their DNA, their DNA makeup right now. Um, and a lot of things, you know, kind of got us to that point. And, one of the really on that note, one of the one of the fantastic things that I've enjoyed um, with Tetra is being able to talk every single day to different hunters, but especially during different seasons. Like right now, the, the turkey hunters blowing our phones up. Um, but you know, for the last four months, it's five months, it's been the waterfall hunter, and and it's so cool to get reports from. You know, Georgia and, and Seattle back to back <laughs> and yeah. in, in California and Wisconsin and what's going on in Louisiana. And um, it, so it's it's been a, a, a cool experience that I that found that I just absolutely love that I really never thought of three years ago, you know, before we started the company. Awesome. Awesome. But, you know, for instance, I had a, had a super cool conversation with um with a with a with a group, kind of a cool story where you know, one guy. This is literally one of the earliest uh, first purchasers of of the Tetra waterfall product last year, and he showed up to camp, and then it was just boom, 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 like like dominoes. Like I, you know, we got all of his buddies um, calling, and they're all all connected to Clark out there, and so we've gotten to be, you know, good friends, and. Um, right before checked in with him before before the christmas holiday and he was actually after christmas he was heading to idaho and he was looking at they were looking at at buying like a, a big like six seven hundred acre swamp uh over in idaho uh and, and they're in they're in kind of west coast oregon and his whole thing is, is that all the birds have shifted east. Like, you know, we kind of hear, I'll say, in you know Tennessee and Kentucky and you know Ballard County, Western Kentucky, and the Boot Hill of Missouri, and you know everyone here is like crying woes that all the birds have shifted west. And he's saying that they shifted yeah. east. And the whole thing was about, and you guys may know this, but I, I found it super interesting. It was all it was all over pot and hemp, and that all of the agricultural fields out there have have flipped over and the farmers are now growing growing pot legally now um 
and so all the all the grains and all the agricultural stuff that the birds need to feed on um, are are really gone. He said. So what it did is it pushed those birds more east, and so they're buying duck hunting land in Idaho. And I never would have put those two things together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, definitely a, you know definitely an interesting take on it, and um, I I mean honestly I see a lot of validity to what you're what you're saying. So. Um, you know, time will tell on all that for sure. Uh, but let's go ahead and kind of jump to the next subject on here. And, um, you know, before Tetra, you know, it was kind of your life growing up. We want to hear about how you got into hunting. And I honestly, I feel like I have a pretty good idea. The amount of people I know from Michigan. So you saying that is going to, going to give me some hints on, on that. So let's, let's hear about kind of early life and, and getting into waterfowl hunting or, or just hunting in general. Yeah, uh, so I, w- I was born and raised in, in Saginaw, Michigan, kind of right at right at the bottom of Lake Huron, Saginaw Bay, and um, right at, in in that the whole bottom of that bay was cattail marsh, and so I, I grew up, you know, walking back in with Grandpa and, and Dad, and you know, hip hip boots to start off with, and you take the uh, you take a step a little bit too deep. You learn real quick that when dad says, don't go out there, <laughs> you know, stay here. And I want to go out and throw some decoys. I remember it when I was little and, and man, that cold water gets in those hip boots in a hurry and it, and it wakes you up pretty good. Um, it was all cattail marsh. And then, um, kind of during college is when I started to meet more hunting buddies and expanding out a little bit. It was, um, it was, that's when I kind of got into the, uh, um, cut corn and cut beans and, and more dry ground uh, for geese and ducks. I mean, you know how greedy those ducks can be when they see the geese feeding. And then, um, and then after college, uh, my new brother-in-law at that point got me got me into the to the big water and the and the diver, um, the whole exotic hunt, uh, like out. We'd go six, seven miles out off into Lake Lake Huron and, you know, 60, 70 feet of water, and you're taking 12-bound cannonball weights that we use for salmon fishing on the downriggers, and that's what you're throwing down 80 feet of line and, you know, dropping four, five, six stringers of, of big diver ducks. But we really got into We figured out the, the old squaw or the long tails um, out there, and you couldn't find another hunter, which is actually kind of a bad thing if you ever got yourself in trouble out there, but you'd have, you'd have the whole dang lake to yourself and, uh, and more birds than you could ever worry about. So, um, so it was kind of my, my end of hunting. And that's what we do when, whenever I go back for Thanksgiving and Christmas times, we try to run up and do a good, a good layout hunt out there. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, it's kind of funny you said that cause I, I've been doing a lot of those same things you've been talking about. Um, so very relatable, uh, you know, some awesome, honestly, uh, I don't even know if I want to say this on air, but I feel like Michigan has so many opportunities. It's just a little hidden gem, you know? Um, and it's a, it's an awesome outdoorsman state. So that's, that's definitely a cool story kind of growing up there. And, um, so obviously with the company and all that, um, you, went to school to be a doctor and all that. So, um, I guess, you know, take us in, into that and, 
And then from there, we'll, we'll kind of transition transition into um, how it came from, obviously, the field of work you do into trying to um, create something for the betterment of waterfowl hunters. Yeah, cool. It's, uh, it actually, I mean, you set it up perfect, Jordan, and, and we, we really haven't ever even had a chance to speak before, but God, we have a lot in common, I can tell. Um, so you said I went to school to be a doctor. I absolutely did. Only a very, very different doctor. The only thing I ever wanted to be in my entire life was a veterinarian. And, you know, growing up and I worked, um, when I was a junior in high school, there was a vet clinic on the corner of my, of my high school. And so I had gone on, um, man, I was, I was feeding the dogs in the morning before school. I worked there for two years, my last two years of high school, and I'd go after football practice and basketball practice and clean the dog cages. I was doing everything. I worked animal control. All I wanted to be was a veterinarian. And, um, and, and the reason that that's even important, maybe for maybe some of the, the younger guys that, that, that you attract and they love listening to your stories, is I got to college and, and hit – hit a whole bunch of speed bumps in my life, um, both from like family and personal. And, and then I hit this monster called organic chemistry <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, in organic chemistry is the reason I'm not a veterinarian and, uh, I was at Michigan state and, and just really, really struggled. It was, uh, it was a very, it was a low point, you know, in my life at, at 19, 20 years old. And, and, you know, really kind of had to figure something out. Um, and, uh, I went to a, I went to a costume Halloween party and I, I met a cute girl that, um, was dressed up as a, as some kind of a weird Christmas tree, like a, a fir tree. And she was an audiology major and I'd never, never heard about it ever. Um, went home, spent the rest of the weekend kind of researching it and that monday morning i was with the counselor uh in the communication school which is where where, where speech and audiology was and um and i've never looked back never got the girl that <laughs> audiology <company. laughs> i thought that was gonna be like your wife <laughs> <laughs> no everyone wants to know but it was good because um you know i graduated got my master's at michigan state and went over and I was, uh, I was working at the VA hospital in Ann Arbor, which is kind of hard for a Spartan boy to, to show up in Ann Arbor. <laughs> and, but uh, I met the girl, you know, way back then, and we've got our 27th anniversary next week. So, so I, I guess I did get the audiology did get me the girl. <laughs> awesome. My wife's a, a speech pathologist and. Has a, has an awesome so what? Career, so. Let me cut. Let me cut you off for a second. I'm curious. What about it changed your direction? What What specifically piqued your interest so much that over a weekend you're like, all right, I'm going this route? Yeah, no, it's an awesome question because you know from 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 Spain and neutering dogs to to ears is a, is a big shift, right? Um, but what it what what attracted me is. It, it was all science based. It was it was medicine. It was it was kind of the deeper you get into it, and some of the stuff that we'll talk about because this is absolutely what's driving the mission of Tetra is that it's 
it's it's kind of it's it's life changing medicine. I mean, this idea of restoring hearing and restoring the delight of hearing, um, and figuring out people who have you know really severe balance problems, and it was it, it was what I will say was you know important parts of healthcare that were changing people's lives, and that's what I've enjoyed doing for thirty years. But it wasn't it wasn't life and death, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so it wasn't like all the the dark side that often comes with with being a doctor. And, and it was it was a big component. Of what was teaching? You got to work with you got to work with all parts of of society. You got to work with brand new babies that were born last night or the same day, and you're te- you know you're testing their hearing um, before they're discharged from the hospital. And, you know, one of my best patients I ever took care of when I was at the VA was um, this incredible individual. He was a World War I veteran. He's 104 years old. And so you see the whole gamut. It's adults. It's kids. Um, it's, you, you work with balance disorders. So it was, it's this combination of, like, medicine and science and teaching. I come from a whole family of teachers um, and just in a lot of psychology. Um and so it was all the stuff that 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 I was interesting, and it didn't have organic chemistry. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's probably the real kicker right there. So, um, but but obviously you have two passions here, and so um, kind of what was the spark that brought these these two together? Well, it it really all started. Um, it really all started with an with an absolute uh, amazing individual. Kind of walked in my life at Vanderbilt. Uh, it was totally by accident. It's it's it really is a relatively cool story. Um, his name's Randall Eden. Everyone knows him as Daddy Randall, and that's exactly how my kids. He kind of became my kids' adopted Southern grandfather. And um, if if I can geek out with the ear a little bit with you. Please. For when I first in 1991, when I graduated my master's, was the year before 1990. They came out with the first what's called a cochlear implant, um, and some people know what that is. And it, mm-hmm. it looks like a great big hearing aid, um, but the idea it sits behind the ear, and there's a little metal piece. It, a cochlear implant is a surgically implanted um, device that when a hearing aid can no longer be of any benefit, there's just not enough hearing left in the ear for a hearing aid to help. The idea is you, you put a cochlear implant in and it's a, it's a little, oh, it's about two and a half inches is a little electrode lead. And on that lead, there's, there's 24, 25, 26 little plates. And those plates are, are, are what is producing different types of frequencies. So what we're doing is we're bypassing the, the, the inner ear. We literally kind of take the bypass and, and, and we stimulate the beginning part of the auditory nerve that takes sound up to the brain. And by bypassing the inner ear, what we have to do, we have to kind of go through the, the inner ear, which is called the cochlea, and uh, you'll kind of, anytime you see a, a, a picture of that, it looks like that little snail shell that you find on the beach. And um, that little snail shell is where all, the, where all the nerves are of hearing. That's what we're stimulating directly. Well, those nerves have to live in like a, 
like a water balloon, like a saltwater solution. And, and so that hard shell, that snail shell, holds all of that. And, and what Daddy Randall had was an exploratory cochlear implant um, at a out of state at a different facility. And what they were trying to do, he had he had okay low frequency hearing, so he could hear all the bass. And then he had absolutely no high frequency hearing. And so the the exploratory device was, can we put this electrode? Can we can we can we poke a water balloon and stick a needle in it and not get that water balloon to leak? <laughs> and so that, that that this little bit of a needle or this little electrode would would go about halfway in, it's called a short insertion. And and it would just stay there and it would allow you to hear normally through the part of your ear that was still working, but the part that was completely gone, those high frequencies, it would provide electrical stimulation. And um, super great idea on paper, and it worked really great on chinchillas and guinea pigs and the types of animals that have have ears that work like humans. Um, but it really didn't, it, it wasn't that great of an idea and it, and it really didn't work well. It had about a, uh, about a, only about a 30% success rate. And unfortunately, Daddy Randall was one of the ones where it just didn't work. And so he, he accidentally ended up on my schedule at Vanderbilt. He was supposed to be on a, on one of the surgeons schedule. Um, and we instantly, you know, I, I have no doubt the good Lord put him there on that day. And he's been an important part of my entire family and my life since then. Daddy Randall is a is an unbelievable turkey hunter, probably one, probably one of the best in North America. And and honestly, with him is when I first started this concept of of digitizing all of the different sounds that turkeys make. And then we would we would create into his he, he wore a hearing aid on one side and he wore a cochlear implant on the other side because um, they explanted that exploratory device and then we put a full a full regular device in and honestly in in 2005 2006 was the very first time that I he would come after work and we'd sit there. And the, the the whole ninth floor of, of Vanderbilt Medical Center, <laughs> you'd hear turkey sounds and you'd hear ducks duck sounds and and uh, man, I, I did we did some things where I, I went and got two great big golf umbrellas and um, and and we out in the woods we'd put you know one of those big umbrellas and I'd use it kind of like a almost like a, a parabolic microphone like they use for sporting events. That's how we hear everything that's going on on that football field these days. And, and I'd hang a, I'd hit a microphone in the middle of that golf umbrella that would wirelessly send the signal back to his, back to his ears and back to the, his devices, the hearing aid and the cochlear implant. And we'd put one out there in the woods and one would be facing one way and the other one would be facing the other way. And so I was trying to, you know, capture 180 degrees this way and 180 degrees that way. And the first time we went out there and set that up and and he got on that box call, he could make a box call just absolutely sing. It was magic. And he hit that. Then all of a sudden a, a big boy from behind him just just about, you know, blew the blew the needles off the pines where he was roosted. And I, 
and, and Daddy Randall looks at me. His eyes were six inches big. <laughs> he couldn't believe how, how much he could hear that. And so that long story is literally where kind of the foundations of, hey, we can, we can optimize a hearing device and, and create that so that it, it is, is pursuit-based, so that it is, it is optimizing, identifying, and enhancing the frequencies that are most important for a specific um, pursuit of hunting. And that's way too long of an explanation. That's no, not a no, good elevator a... speech at all, but that's like, that's the true story yeah, uh, no. that I haven't had a whole bunch of chances to tell. So I appreciate you boys <laughs> listening to it. No, it's fascinating. I was, I was expecting some type of story, um, obviously, but man, that, that's a, that's an amazing story. Super cool. Yeah. Honestly, uh, I knew a lot, a lot probably went into it, but, um, you know, definitely really cool. And, I mean, all I can say after that is, wow, honestly, my mind's blown. <laughs> so, um. Well, then, you know, we, we fast forward. And so, so the idea is what we would do is, is uh, my partner, David Genevico, who's an audiologist here in town and, um, and, and my hunting and fishing bud, um, you know, we kind of, we were known because, you know, we were, we were hardcore hunting and fishing. Most of audiology, if, if you don't know, audiology is, a, is, is I think, 12 or 14,000 certified licensed audiologists in the U.S., and about 86% of them are females. So it's a very low representation of males. And then on top of that, it's probably even lower for for kind of hardcore outdoorsmen and, and hunters and fishermen that are that are audiologists. And so, man, if anyone... If anyone was uh, up at Vanderbilt, if any of the patients would hunt and fish, they would be, you know, oh, you need to see one of the boys. And so yeah. uh, we kind of became the, the hunting docs. <laughs> and what we do is we would we would take your old set of hearing aids. Uh, this worked really well if someone was coming in and they were buying their second or third or fourth set of hearing aids, which is, again, another driver of Tetra. Like, let's stop that. Um but if we would take your old hearing aids and we would we would retune them and reprogram them um, to be their outdoor hearing aids, and we did it. I did it for construction workers and even factory workers, but a lot of farmers and a ton of ton of duck hunters. And that's really where we started, kind of like tweaking. And, um, and by then, I left and I went to to industry. I um, I took a executive position with a big hearing aid manufacturer uh, and I was back and forth to Chicago all the time I was a VP of audiology David left and went and started his private practice and and we'd get together and hunt and and we'd have different products that we'd try and we'd fine-tune it so that um, so you could you know the, the big thing for the for the waterfall hunter as you guys know is it's super hard to monitor your own call when you got your ears plugged off and that, and, and that's why most waterfall hunters will forego using hearing protection because they can't hear what's going on. They're not connected. They can't hear the wings ripping behind them or when you get blown mm-hmm. up with a bunch of teal or that first cluck of the, of the goose over the tree line. And, and you can't, and you can't really effectively blow your, blow your call well. And so most guys, maybe present company included, uh, chose, yeah, for sure. you know, started off their life not wearing hearing protection while you were duck and goose hunting. And so, 
So a lot of that, this idea of I can't, I can't monitor my voice, I can't monitor my instrument, I can't hear what's going on around me, is something that audiology um, really helped solve in the musician community a long time ago, a couple decades. And, and, and now, you know how it is, you can't, you can't watch a live performance where the musician, whether it's the drummer or whether it's the lead singer or the backup vocal, where they don't have something in their ear, right? These in the, in the ear monitors. And, um, and what the in-ear monitors are doing is that they are they are they have created they're optimizing the specific sounds that that musician needs to hear in order to to perform at their best, right? So if you're a lead singer, if you're if you're if you're Keith Urban down here, and you can do amazing things with the, the guitar and you're running back and forth between the, the stage and next thing you're out in the crowd. And this idea of like being able to hear and monitor your own voice and to be able to play the guitar is what is what the in-the-ear monitor is doing. It's Those are all preset so that everyone's responsibility on stage is different and that it's, it's optimized for your role that you need to do. If you took the drummer's in the ear monitors and you put it over in the bass player, they would say like, man, that sounds like crap. I can't play the bass like that. But you put it back in the drummer's ear and he's like, oh, that sounds great. It's what I need to play the drums. And honestly, we took that philosophy, guys, and we sat with Harold Knight in clinic for two days out at David's practice. And we put a microphone down on Harold Knight's eardrum and he just blew duck and goose calls every kind possible for, for literally two days. And we recorded all of that at his eardrum. And then we put it through a whole bunch of geeky sound analysis and spectral analysis. And, and you said, once you mix it all together, we basically said that if it's coming out of a duck or a goose's throat and it's making noise, it has to have energy in these specific bands, um, or that's just where all the sound is. That's what makes a hen mallard hail call cannot sound like a hen mallard hail call unless there's energy going on in these specific areas, in these bands. And it doesn't matter if it's a speckle belly or, or, uh, or Canada goose, or if you're, if you're doing a, a pintail peep, um, I mean, you name it. And if, if it's a, a waterfall vocalization it has to have energy in these in these five bands that's what keeps it it's the common denominator between all of them and that was the baseline of our patent and so we applied to say like we are going after the replication of animal sounds and so we created a formula that that does that then we did the same thing with all the turkey vocalizations and gobbles and clucks and yelps and kikis and drumming and spitting and purrs and cuts and we digitized all those and said okay this is uniquely different and you know that's a banana the waterfall frequencies are more of an orange um and so we had a we created a specific algorithm to replicate uh you know turkey vocalizations and we just went down the line we went and did all the animal sounds that are all the 
sounds that an elk makes, a bugle and a bark and a mew. And we did, we digitized, you know, pheasants flushing with cackle, pheasants flushing without cackle, quail flushing, Garmin e-collars at 40 yards away, Garmin e-collars at 100 yards away, small cowbell, loud or big, large cowbell. And the whole point of that is that we, we identify and, and, and isolate the most important sounds that are required for an enjoyable and successful hunt that is specific to a, to a certain pursuit. Really, it's, it's, it's no different than what, you know, what the, what the big camel gods with, with Coxie Hayes and, and Bill Jordan did and, um, and saying, you know, this military fatigue camel isn't going to work for everything. <laughs> and so, you know, they were smart enough to create very good and which has become extremely technical camel for certain seasons, certain time of the year and certain geographic locations. And kind of followed into that step. So. Awesome. Awesome. And I, I don't want to, I, what I'm going to switch subjects to here real quick, and I don't want to derail because you're going so smooth on all that, but uh, <laughs> um, Elliot and I both have had the opportunity to use um, Tetra for the majority of the season um, since the Flyway Collective event, um, and definitely definitely can uh, attest to all the things you're kind of saying about it. Um, you know, the things that definitely stood out to me is it's it's so realistic sounding um, that you almost after like after wearing them for a little bit, you forget. You really do. You forget that they're even in your ears anymore. So um, definitely, definitely awesome on that. But one thing I wanted to hit on that is we all had to do the test to get them tuned for our ears that you have up on on the Tetra website. And one thing, uh, Elliot was actually brought up by name <laughs> as having as having uh, terrible hearing. I don't know if you. If uh, you got to look at the test or not, or if you remember Elliot specifically, um, but can you tell us, is he legally deaf? <laughs> well, there's some doctor patient privilege in there. So, um, <laughs> Thank you, sir. Thank you. It, 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 but it, it all depends, Elliot. Like if you need this to get out of the doghouse, if, uh, if there's a missus or an important significant other in your life and you and you need a get out of jail card, then um, then yes, we can certify you probably <laughs> very close to the because that gets you out of trouble or not. But, yeah, you know um, the thing with I the would, thing with me is that um, I'm the textbook case, like what you were talking about. I've been waterfowl hunting for about thirty years now, and I made a conscious choice. I'm not wearing earplugs because exactly what you said it it completely takes away from the whole experience of why I'm out there, the wings and, and just talking to your buddies. And I had tried just regular, you know, earplugs, but then I had messed around with some lower end kind of, um, mechanical, um, earplugs as well. And they just, I, I was like, no, I just, I'm not even going to hunt if I can't hear what I want to hear. So I was exactly the guy you talked about. I was like, I'm just not wearing them. I, you know, in my twenties, I made the decision. I'm like, I'll deal with it later. I, I want to hear what I'm hearing. And uh, for the first time ever, when I put in your product and wore them out, you know, you put them in at first, you're like, hmm, well, let me see what I think about this. And within five minutes, you don't even think about it. I mean, you, you're, you're it, and that's what you want. You you want it to be a non-issue. And that and that's what it was. So 
bravo to that product. I'll tell you that. I, I wish uh, I'd had it 20 years ago, but yeah. Well, man, that's so that's so awesome to hear. That's what that's what uh, spent an incredible amount of time to be able to get to be able to get the waterfall hunter to be able to, to say exactly that. So that makes me really happy. I'm happy for you. Um, and, and, and the whole point and, and, and the reason why I, I think like the stuff that you guys are doing and having this con, the, the, this type of conversation is really to motivate that younger hunter. Right. And it's, mm-hmm. it's, 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 the, it's the kids getting into, you know, they, we learn those habits, you know, from our mentors that introduce it. That's how we become, that's how we fall in love with the outdoors. And it doesn't matter if you're eight or 18 or 28, like whenever that happens, somebody, somebody got you there and, and somebody mentored you and somebody like shared their passion. And, um, and then it just caught on fire with each of us. Yeah. But you know, if, if Johnny shows up in the duck blind at eight years old and looks down and, you know, daddy and granddaddy and uncle Tommy, and, and his older brother, nobody has any earplugs in. Well, guess what? Little eight-year-old Johnny's not going to have any earplugs in. Mm-hmm. And, um, and and we just can't do that, right? Like, we know too much. Right. We've changed on, from safety and health across society, whether it's seatbelts or drinking and driving. or like we, we've, we've changed too much to, 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 to be that lax about it. And it's guys mm-hmm. like you guys like you are going to change it because you're going to change the behaviors guys like me i'll have the product there for them to use but it's really going to come you guys start the conversation and and that's why i think it's awesome well bill i i never had any discomfort from it i mean i was never shotgun and calling this i've never hurt my ears um until i got into my late 30s and then if i was on like a three-day trip day two and three i might have a headache you know um, but yep. it, it, so there was no incentive for me at, at the, at the, to think, well, I need to wear earplugs cause 20, 30 years down the road, whatever. But like you said, I mean, I'm having to the point now where at dinner tables, I'm struggling a little bit. I'm 47 and at dinner tables, I'm, I'm struggling a little bit to, to hear some of the conversation, but I want to ask you a, a personal question real quick, just for my own benefit. Um, with me, when I had, when I hear loud shrill noises, it physically really hurts me. Um, not not yeah. like – I don't mean like loud noises like – like they don't bother other people. But like a quick harsh noise will cause me physical pain. Like if a little kid across the room squeals or something, it doesn't bother other people. But is that a result from damage from hunting to have that kind of physical reaction where I'm feeling it actually hurts me? It, 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 it's a damage, so you can likely put it to hunting, but I also don't want to, like, we can't say it's hunting. And, and like, what I don't want to do in this narrative is, and I'm not talking about right now, but just, you know, with, with Tetra, is, like, I, I, forever what we've done is we've we've made the gun bad, and we've made mm-hmm. the sport bad. Like, you shouldn't do that, and, like, you're... You're 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 dumb if you don't wear any ear protection if you don't wear any earmuffs and and I'm kind of being hypercritical on my audiology colleagues because you know they would just be well if he can't help himself if he's not gonna how, who 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 thinks they can do that and not wear earmuffs or earplugs and mm-hmm. it's because they don't understand what it's like to watch the sunrise in a in a duck pit type thing but the answer is what, what's going on with you um, is something called hyperacusis. 
uh, and it's and it's just a it's an oversensitivity. It's it's part of the damage to that neural system, to those nerve fibers. And in in a lot of it, you can kind of think about like think about like pressure on your arm if someone was, was squeezing it, and if your if your inner ear nerve fibers are are working well or working or just let's say mildly damaged the idea is that this this loudness growth phenomenon because loudness is really two things right it's a it's a big physical stimulus that's going on in your ear it's a bigger sound wave what we call more amplitude we've got to amp it up or we turn it up so it's a bigger sound wave but on top of that really what sound is it's a psychological perception right it's how it's how your body how your brain reacts through that sound and and so what happens with the type of hearing loss um that you have Elliot, like all of those those protective cells those protective nerve fibers so when it's you know when a sound is 10 db and you can hear it soft and it's 20 db and it's soft but a little bit louder and it's 30 db and it you know, your brain notices that, yep, it's getting louder, 40 dB, yep, it's louder, 50 dB, yeah, it sounds, that sounds pretty good, 60 dB, oh, and that's definitely getting loud. Like your brain and your ear has the ability to kind of ride that wave up. Well, with yours, 10 dB, nothing, 20 dB, nothing, 30 dB, nothing, 40 dB, nothing, 50 dB, and now all of a sudden, bang, it's hit with this bigger stimulus, a 60 or 70 or 80 decibel or 130 coming out of a shotgun. And it's just, it's too much too fast. And mm, you're, okay. kind of your, your brain can't react to it and the ear can't react to it is, um, that's kind of a, and, and hopefully a little bit easier way. There's a whole lot of science that's going on before that and yeah, yeah. how much chemicals are and how much nerves are moving and all that kind of stuff. But that's kind of what's going on, if that makes a little bit of sense. Yeah, now, yeah. That, that should and could settle down if, if, if two things happen. If, if you start to rehabilitate it and you rehabilitate it by, by entering more sound in all the time, i.e. a hearing aid or hearing some type of hearing enhancement device, um, an awful lot of guys are because what we're doing with Tetra is we basically went and I, I secured access to all of the high-end circuitry that are built into high-end hearing aids. It's just I'm not buying it or selling it as a as an FDA-regulated hearing aid. But this idea that you, if you kind of you know continually stimulate your brain all day and kind of reintroduce it to to help manage that there's all kinds of because in your world like in, in my world with with thank god still normal hearing like i hear super soft things i hear a little bit soft i hear average i hear loud i hear too loud and so i'm getting stimulated by that and you're getting stimulated by only like a third of that mm-hmm. maybe and so if we bring back those sounds um That'll help settle things down. And then also, if um, if you don't, if you don't, if you kind of quit, you know, putting your ears in hostile environments and not protecting them. So if, if you protect mm-hmm. it more and you don't aggravate it, you're not you're not con- consistently kind of picking the scab at it. it it'd be nice mm-hmm. if it was like a, a pulled muscle or a scab, but you know, you're you're just kind of 
if you don't go out and you protect it, and it doesn't matter, even if you're doing, that's awesome to hear that you had such a great experience all duck season with it. But that needs to carry over to when you're, you know, all the other stuff that you do in your life that's, you know, kind of noisy. Running a chainsaw, you know, pushing a lawnmower, using a weed whip. Weed whip. Um, if you're planting food plots on a, you know, big tractor, a little tractor, ATVs, like, it, like with your loss at your age, you, you really need to be super vigilant about protecting it. And, um, and, and, and you can calm all of that down and that and this isn't mm. just about you. It's about, I mean, cause there's, there's a couple million guys out there like you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I guess I had never thought about and, using it for mowing the lawn and things like that. I've thought about it actually as using it as a hearing aid. I have thought about that. Um, but I've, I guess I've, I hadn't put really thought about it. It's like I should be when I'm out mowing using it. That, I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, it's definitely, and, uh, and then you get, it's, it's definitely a, a cautionary tale to kind of kind of hear, you know, um, with Elliot, you know, somebody that that I know, you know, personally and, and all the hunting um, and no protection has kind of caused over the years. And, um, you know, it's we all have met people who are older hunters, avid hunters who just just can't hear anything. And, and um, we definitely, you know, don't want to have that happen to ourselves. Um, it's just, honestly, it's all too common, um, in the hunting industry. And I don't know why it's somewhat accepted for, for whatever reason, because, uh, there's, there's easy, an easy solution to it. And, and that's, uh, well, now there is, Yeah, now now there is, (laughs) there hasn't been. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's that's everything else has sounded mechanical and terrible. Everything else, even that I've tried and my dad has a pair of earmuffs that you can supposedly hear through and they all just sound awful. I mean, it all completely changes the environment and I've just not been willing to do that. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Definitely. Definitely agree with you on that, Elliot. But, uh, but man, and I'm, I'm telling you, especially in the duck hunting world and, and, and down here, um, you know, in, in Nashville, honestly, I can't tell you how many, 58, 59, 60, you know, young 60-year-olds, 54, I, I just had one pop, he was 54 years old, and um, in his ear, I mean, just major, major waterfall hunter, you know, and his his hearing is just an absolute train wreck, and he would come in and he would buy a new $6,000, sixty four, $6,800 set of hearing aids every two years from Vanderbilt. And he was um, he, he was super successful businessman, and money was no issue. And man, I'm telling you, I remember more than once where I would have a guy just like that, and be me and him in a closed in a closed room, and and I, and, and they they cry, <laughs> their hmm. eyes just well up, and they're like, I. And, and, and most of them are like super gracious. They're like, you know, don't take this the wrong way. I'm not being, not being a, a blankety blank. Right? <laughs> we can say, but I'm not being a jackass, but you know, I, I can do, I can buy and do anything I want in this world. And I would pay, I, I would pay endless amount of money. There's no limit to the amount of money I would pay for new ears again. Yeah. And like that, those, those are the moments that really like drove that, that, that kind of power. That was like the, the, the early juice 
of you know why David and I knew um, because we, we as the as the end user we knew that there was nothing good out there. Um, and protection is protection. We can protect your ear, and I'm and I and I'm very very careful to say that that Tetra isn't a better protection because once you're protected, you're protected. We're doing some cool things on why it sounds so good and, 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 and why you can still hear and be connected even when, when all these triggers are being pulled. But the cool experience in the new, new with Tetra is about the hearing experience and that it, mm-hmm. like, you, you guys nailed it. I didn't even have to put those words in. It's like, it's like I'm wearing nothing at all. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's both a comfort issue as well as it is, uh, with a sound issue. And, Right now, the hard part is is just, you know, it's it's getting getting in front of people, um, and that's why I'm so grateful for opportunities like this. More importantly, it's not about me; it's about you guys talking about it, and you guys, you know, mentoring it, and the conversations that you'll go off and and have. And on that note, I, I, I want to just touch base while we're kind of in this. Elliot, you planted your flag at at 47, um, and this whole idea of like you know. Like so many other waterfall hunters or just hunters and shooters, you grow up n- not protecting, not doing it, and and this is where really things really kind of fall off into into a, a major healthcare issue that's going on around the world. Before we had you know words like pandemic in our vocabulary that I wish we never ever heard. Uh, you know what was going on in healthcare is this this issue that there's a global epidemic. Of, of Alzheimer's and dementia and, um, and what we call cognitive processing or, or brain processing disorder, short-term memory loss. And all of this is like just growing monumentally across the world. Certainly the U.S. is leading it. And it's because it's not that we're creating more of it. There's, there's nothing bad in our water, or the air, or the food source, that kind of stuff. Well, I guess what the food source is, it's birthday cake. And, and, and the idea is that the more of it that we have that's our own birthday cake, the older we are, the longer that we're living, that's when these these cognitive processing problems and, and the big two are dementia and, and Alzheimer's, that if we have more birthdays, they're, they're going to come out. And, and over the last 12 to 15 years, there's been billions of dollars of research done on this across the, across the world. A couple of the biggest studies have come out of um, come out of Baltimore and uh, and St. John's and and some super big medical facilities out there. And the, for instance, the Baltimore Longitudinal Study on Aging was was looked at tw- 25 years. It followed people from 30 to 70 in every 10 every 10 years of life. And the whole point of this is what they found is that there's really two groups and this is what's, what's critically important for hunters and particularly waterfall hunters to hear is that when you look at, at the big population across the world with, with dementia and Alzheimer's, they can kind of, they, they separate it into two different groups and, and the biggest group about 60, 62, 63% is a genetic component. And and we're just kind of screwed. It's what mom and dad gave us, right? I mean, it's, if it's in your DNA, if it's in your genes, and you live long enough, 
you are probably going to have some problems with this, right? From kind of, you know, 65, 68, 70 years of age and, and beyond is when, when that kind of stuff will start to show up if it's a, if it's in your gene pool. That's kind of dark and depressing, right? It can be the, the to me, the other side, and I think the, the, the more delightful side is that means that there's about 30 or 35% of all the dementia and Alzheimer's that isn't genetic, but yet people are still getting it. Why are they getting it? And so they found out that it really comes down to what we call modifiable life factors. And it's what we do to ourselves across our life. And in all of these studies are able to go back and look and they break it up into early life, midlife and later life. And those ages are like 18 to 35, 35 to 55, and 55 to 75. And they broke, they broke it down to there's, there's nine risk factors that if, if we pay attention to these risk factors and we don't put our, our lives at high risk with them, um, then our, our chances of Alzheimer's and dementia, of kind of self-induced almost Alzheimer's mm-hmm. and dementia, go way, way, way down. And of the nine risk factors, the most important risk factor, the biggest risk factor that was the easiest to predict by four and a half times, that you had a four and a half times greater likelihood of Alzheimer's and dementia after 65 if you had hearing loss between 35 and 55. Oh, great. (laughs) You specifically are right in that zone. And, awesome. and actually, I misspoke. It's it's not that you have hearing loss; it's that it's it's what your what they called your average daily hearing status. So that's that's what what they found is that if you were a fifty year old and you had a lot of hearing loss, but you've been wearing a hearing aid since you're maybe forty seven, if you've been wearing a hearing aid for the last three years, then the then the incidence and likelihood of that of of that guy is four and a half times less likely to have uh, Alzheimer's and dementia. And four wow. and a half times great is huge, right? Um, mm. And so oh. one is that it was your average daily hearing status, guys. And so that's the whole point. It's like even if you either have an accident or you go through you know, anything early in life, whether it's, whether it's bad decisions, um, whether it's you, you went to you know cancer treatments or severe antibiotic treatments, I mean, there's lots of reasons why you can lose your hearing early in life. Um, it's not so much the hearing loss; it's that if you make your brain struggle, if you start to get hearing loss in your 30s and your 40s, and you make your brain struggle and you make your brain work overtime, um, it's called a cognitive load theory and all kinds of other medical stuff that's going on, but those are the ones that have a four and a half times greater chance when you're, when you're north of 65 years of age of, of dementia and Alzheimer's. And honestly, it's a big part. That's nowhere near um, in, the, in the hunter's conversation, right? Um, and that's a big driver, uh, you know, f- for David and I, and it's, that's, that's kind of our north compass with this. Is, mm-hmm. is we want to create a company that could allow you to have a more enjoyable and a more successful experience doing the passionate things that you love to do in the outdoors. Um, and, you, and you're kind of saving 
you're, you're, you're saving your future self. Um, and I know, man, going and buying a new gun is so much more fun and sexy and paying for a duck <laughs> lease is a whole lot more fun. And, and, and I know I, I, I'm, it's not lost on me that, you know, that, you know, a $700 hearing device or 900 or a $1,000 hearing device, um, that's, that's, that's a lot of money. But the, the reason that your experience is so good, guys, is because it's a super premium device. And yeah. um, I'm telling you, every day we're busting our butt to figure out how can we get similar sounding outcomes for half the money. Um, and it, it's super challenging, right? Um, I mean, you guys know that. I mean, hunters know more than anything. Uh, you know, the advantages of premium gear are, are super easy to see. Um, and, and the chief stuff is what's been out there that, that millions of guys have been saying. They've been making the decision that Elliot was brave enough yeah. to say. It's like, yeah, I'll kick this down the can. I know it's not mm-hmm. smart. I wish I didn't have to do it. But I'm not going to let it ruin all of these years that I want to have fun, and I'll deal yeah. with it later. And yeah. it just never works out in the duck hunter's advantage. I can promise you. That. No. And the thing is, if you spend yeah. that money, let's say at the age 25 or 30, how many years are you going to have to go until that money means nothing to you? Right? If I had spent a thousand dollars or whatever. When I was 27, you think I would care that I spent a thousand dollars now that I'm 47, that money would be nothing at that point, you know, absolutely nothing. But my hearing certainly is certainly is something. Yeah. Awesome. Definitely. uh, Definitely some, some good information on that. And, um, you know, definitely couldn't agree with you more on on all of that, but kind of, kind of to round this off, you know, I want to, I want to, I want to talk a little bit about the different types of, of hearing um, protection you guys offer there at Tetra. Well, um, let, let's, let's start right there because uh, really what we have are, are two series. Everything that we've been talking about, guys, is, is on the protection side. Um, and, and really what, what, what Tetra is, it's, it, you know, we have a whole series that is what we call the Shield series. Um, and that is all about protecting. It's, it's designed as hearing protection to fully and maximally protect the ear. On the other side of the house, or flip the coin, I guess, um, is a whole series which is called AMP series. And on, on the AMP series, it's really about uh, about maximally enhancing the the auditory experience, the hearing experience of that pursuit of that hunt. And specifically what we're talking about, especially right now, is the turkey hunter. Um, and so like the, the, the turkey hunter, the big game hunter, the elk hunter, um, soon to be the Sitka hunter. <laughs> when, when we create a, a specialized target optimization formula for, uh, for the Sitka hunting, so that's going to be my new, my new itch that I need to scratch. Um, <clears throat> Uh, and so, and, and on that side, and let me explain exactly what I mean by that. What, what we're doing is is we're fully suppressing the gunshot, and so we're we are protecting the ear, but it's it's really for very it's for the low trigger pull endeavors, right? It's the single shot at a turkey, the single shot at a whitetail or an elk, that kind of stuff. And and so what we look at, we call our amp series, like for the turkey for the turkey guys, it's amp pods. 
uh, or the deer amp pods or elk amp pods. So it's a, it's a real little device that fits deep down in the ear canal. And, and so we get to use all of that structure on the side of our head where it, where it gathers sound and it funnels sound down into our ear canal. And we have the microphone of that placed right, right at the opening of our ear canal. And that creates an unbelievable advantage to be able to tell where sound is coming from. So we not only make it louder so that you can hear, you know, you park the truck, you walk 100 yards into the woods and you hit your locator call and, you know, hopefully you get two or three birds hollering back at you. And the turkey hunting is an absolute auditory experience. Um, and and you got to be able to, to you got to be able to hear that bird. You got to be able to localize what direction it's coming from, and you got to be able to judge the distance of, you know, is it is it eighty yards or is it eight hundred yards, um, and what direction did it come from? And you know, you're hunting them in the early season, and the, and the leaves aren't out yet. And if you misjudge distance, if you didn't hear it well and it was soft because you can't hear and that bird was at 80 yards and it's really at, you know, and you thought it was at 200 yards on the other side of this ridge or and over in the pines on the other side of the, of the field. And you try to sneak up on that bird and, and he's roosted at 80 yards. You're done. You're busted. <laughs> if you don't have any leaves behind to hide behind. Uh, and so that, so the auditory experience is just paramount, especially for the turkey hunter. And, and again, that's who's as soon as February 1st happens, like it just automatically flips the switch. Um, and our phone just starts ringing and, and it's, it's the turkey hunter. Um, on the, the difference with that on the shield series and, and what you guys use with the alpha shields is our universal fit. Um, and we make a universal fit and we make a, a full custom line of that same exact circuit, 16 bands or 12 bands of, of signal processing, sound processing. Um, <clears throat> but what, on the shield series, what we're doing is the whole intent is that we're fully sealing off the ear canal. And so we're, we're not only suppressing the, the muzzle blast electronically, we're also physically blocking sound from getting in and around the device on the, on the alpha shield like you had. We're not completely, we're, we're blocking off 90 or 95% of the ear canal, um, depending on the size of the ear canal, maybe 98%. Um, it's not 100% sealed off, so I'm, I'm not comfortable calling it protection, so we label that as gun suppression. And we're suppressing you, we're making that gunshot safe, but man, I don't, uh, I don't want you using those, uh, you know, laying down in a in a cornfield shooting a box of shells at at Canadians, right? <laughs> um, and so it's it's a little bit different, um, different applications, a different form factor. Um, super awesome product. Uh, probably, you know, the, the again the most common guy for that is the, the guy. It's kind of someone again, like like you, Elliot, who's who's you know ears have lived a hostile life, and if you were a diehard turkey hunter, those ears would. And, and, and I probably should have asked in the beginning. I don't I don't know if you boys chase gobblers up there, but um, I don't. Your very ears much. would present a big challenge for you. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. No, I definitely I definitely hit up the the turkey as well. So. Um, but 
as as you're saying on all that, you know, just just different products for for different different options there, and it looks looks like you guys kind of cover it all for for all the different hunters. So that's that's definitely awesome. Um, but I I do think this is probably a a, a a solid place to go ahead and and wrap this one up. Elliot, you got any anything you want to add here at the end? I think I'm just going to get off this podcast and go curl up in the fetal position somewhere <laughs> <laughs> and work on you. <laughs> <laughs> I got dementia Think coming how at me. Cool it was. <laughs> <laughs> Today we learned Elliot has dementia. Not really, but um. <laughs> so that's what's the matter with me. My wife will be like, "Oh, okay, <laughs> I see." But no, uh, it's, it's, I, just, I just urge people to get how, serious how about it. I mean, you're you're. We don't hear. So I'll I'll, I'll close, and then you can close. I mean the. We've been lying to little kids in science class in second grade for a long time. We we don't hear with our ears, right? The ears are only it's FedEx. It's it's shipping and receiving. It it picks up sound, it repackages it, and it ships it up to the brain. We hear with our brains, hmm. and our brain has to recognize this electrical stimulation that the ear is is sending it. It's coming from the ear, and if your filters are all jacked up in your inner ear and if just like a, a an oil filter on your truck if you if you never ever changed your oil filter ever and you kept dumping new oil in there it doesn't really matter because that that good the good parts of the new oil aren't getting to the engine just like when you get hearing loss in your inner ear all of that sound isn't getting to the brain so your brain has to work significantly harder mm-hmm. and so you know again doctor patient privileges Elliot the, the idea at the end of the day you you are you, your brain is more tired you are more fatigued you are because if you're in situations where you just have to work harder you're driving a truck that gets a lot less gas mileage mm-hmm. um, you know it, it in year after year after year after year after year after year it takes its toll and so mm-hmm. that's why you know we try to stop it part of the goal of Tetra is to prevent hearing loss. If you have hearing loss, there's ways that we can help you hear better to make it easier on your brain. And, and when you're doing fun stuff like shooting greenheads in the face, you, you can protect your ear and hear better at the same time. So, mm, Amen. Awesome. Well, I definitely can say this podcast, you've, you've jacked it full of tons of, uh, tons of information, so I might even have to go back myself and uh, give it another listen and, and just, you know, uh, so we really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing all this information. Uh, if you would go ahead and let people know um, everywhere where they can find Tetra, um, you know, from social to your website and everything. Yeah, so um, we do everything on our website. You can you can learn all the stuff that that we've talked about. You just heard. You can test your hearing um, for free. There's no cost. You send it to us. Um, We'll give you our professional opinion on the results. We'll help you select the device. Um, everything can be done on the website. That's tetrahearing.com, T-E-T-R-A hearing.com. Um, and you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Tetra Hearing. And um, spread the word. And, and, again, we'll do anything to help anyone. Uh, but... But just I'd encourage all your listeners and all the guys and gals that you're that you're influencing, especially the younger ones, just do something. You know, um, right now, 
uh, we're working like like crazy to get um, to get some cool cool new products in um, at different price points. Um, but if if you don't have the ability to to, to get into a tetra right now, do something to protect your to protect your hearing is is probably the best way to close it up. So. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, appreciate you coming on, Bill. Um, definitely, definitely a lot, to, a lot to learn from, uh, to listening to everything you got to say and, and all your knowledge on this, on this subject. So, um, that's all we got. That's all we got today, folks. I'm Jordan Duckin Chronicles, Elliot from Freelance Duckening and Bill from Tetra. And we'll see you guys on the next one.